Chapter 2. My Big Break. As a fresh graduate of Emerson College, I walked into the audition room at Boston University. You think you're the only one whose nervous system can be beaten to pieces? Well, nothing was further from the truth. I estimate that there were some 200 people, all of whom seemed to be better looking, better voiced, and more confident than me. I had the instant urge to turn and run, but I knew if I did, when I came home, my wife wouldn't let me in the house, and so I just followed the crowd, took a number from a box, and got back into the line. Within minutes, rumors were circulating that they were looking for a disc jockey. No, no, they're looking for a newsman. No, no, they're looking for an ace sportscaster. They wanted someone who would work cheap, and it seemed to me that was the last thing I should concern myself with. Salary? Hell, get the job. How well I remember Bill. He had, without a doubt, the best voice of anyone there that afternoon. How was it? I inquired. A snap, he said. But it didn't make any difference because the money they were going to pay to whomever they hire wouldn't keep me in a pack of cigarettes. The average price of a pack of cigarettes in 1952 was about 28 cents. Undeterred, I walked into the audition studio and kept thinking, a pack of cigarettes? Well, I'll give up smoking. I got my real surprise of the day when they asked me to do a mock radio show. I said, what kind of radio show? They said, a disc jockey show. I said, I don't have any records. They told me, make them up. I did a great show, played 10 of the top tunes in Boston, and hit with some funny lines, not too many, and just as I was feeling pretty good about myself, the station owner said, final auditions are next weekend on Saturday. My head slumped. It sounded to me like a brush off. I remember well waking up that following Saturday. I didn't want to get out of bed. Then my wife said, aren't you going to get out of bed? Those final auditions are just an hour from now, and we have to drive to the studio. So I told her, this is a waste of time. They've probably already picked who they want. I'll be like a bump on a log. Off we went on our mission of mercy. I want to tell you something. When I was called into the audition studio again, I was a little dismayed. The original three interviewers had become five. They made the request that I do my radio show again. I led off with Tom Dorsey's Boogie Woogie and followed with Patty Page and Tony Bennett. Oh, I was hot now. The four lads, Nat King Cole and me. That's right, I was on fire. A voice over the intercom said, Come here, Dave, will you? As I stepped into the studio, the astounding words were spoken. The job is yours. The Dave Maynard Show starts tomorrow at 10 a.m. to noon. You'll also do an afternoon show from 2 to 4 p.m. Boy, what a dream. Two of my own radio shows and freedom to do whatever I wanted on the air, plus $32.67 take home. Just enough so I could starve to death. I didn't feel badly because the important thing was it wasn't pay for delivering newspapers or selling hamburgers. It was for my field of endeavor, broadcasting. What did crafty old Dave do to supplement his income? I got a second job driving a checker cab. I didn't know too much about cab driving, but I did know the best way to talk to the passengers in my cab. 
I talk them into listening to WHIL and tune into my shows. I dedicated records, sang happy birthdays, and did everything I could think of to steal listeners from other radio stations. Yippee! Our ratings started to inch upwards, and I got a $5 raise. It was nice eating food again.